Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode that you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another enthralling episode of the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And today, Wade, we're going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. That is mediation. Tane, seriously, since you have retired, you have been knee-deep in mediations, haven't you? Oh, yeah. That is how Daddy brings home the bacon now. So, uh, yeah. Um, Business has been really good. And because that subject is at the forefront of my mind, we thought we would discuss some of the issues uh, surrounding mediation in civil cases. Now, you know, most of our episodes, Tane, were kind of designed for judges because we started this when we were both judges, and now you have left me and abandoned me alone in this ship in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. But um, sometimes lawyers listen to these. Yeah. We appreciate that, too. We love you guys. Me. And we thought maybe we would do something that they would find valuable because we don't always get our, get our teeth around a lot of civil or other uh, non-criminal matters. Yeah. So I think some of this will be helpful for people who uh, maybe are, are going to be doing a mediation or maybe some people who do mediations on a regular basis. Uh, I can give you some idea about sort of how the mediator thinks about things and how the, uh, you know, how things come about in the mediation. So yeah, hopefully this will give you some insight into uh, to that process. So I actually was certified and I did not know that I did. I got certified and then I became a judge. So I let it lapse. Mm-hmm. Dummy. Same. No, dummy, same. dummy, dummy, I dummy. I did the same. And so I do not have all my current, whatever they call them, CLEs, continuing ed. Right. Um, so let's start at the beginning, Tane. Um, talk to the folks about the actual statute surrounding mediation in Georgia. Yeah. So there is actually in Georgia, a uniform mediation act, and that's the act that essentially governs all mediations in Georgia. And, and that's, that's not exactly true. And we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute, but it does, it does cover most of the ground in mediation. And that act is found at OCGA section nine seventeen one, and, uh, and the other statutes following that. 917.1 actually defines a lot of terms relating to mediation. But, you know, again, just to sort of start at the at the very ground level, the way Georgia defines mediation is mediation means a process in which a mediator facilitates communication and negotiation between parties to assist them in reaching a voluntary agreement regarding their dispute voluntariness being the magic word there. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the hallmark of the mediation process because no outcome in the process is mandated by anyone other than whatever the parties agree to. But now we can we can mandate the process, I guess. We can mandate mediation as judges. That's right. You can lead the horse to water. <laughs> you <laughs> but can you even, can't drown him. You can even hold his head under for a long, long time, but you cannot make him drink. So there have actually been cases that I've had as a judge where they went to mediation once. And we mandated them to go back to mediation again because they were close and they were making progress, but they just didn't get it done. And um, again, you can make them go to the process. You just can't force them to come to an agreement. So 
when you say you're the mediator, mm-hmm. define a little bit about what the statute at least and, and says what the mediator is, because I've heard neutral, sure. I've well, heard other words. And that's where I was going to start. You know, the, the statute in Georgia defines mediator, and I'll, I'll, I'll read the definition in a minute, but essentially a mediator is a neutral. That is a person who doesn't have any, you know, stake in it, it's not a dog, doesn't have a dog in the fight. Um, you know, judges can mediate cases, but in a sense, you know, the judge who is presiding over the case has a, at least has a stake in trying to get the parties to resolve the issue because to free up Thursday. Yeah, it'll exactly. It'll be one more case off the docket. So uh, in Georgia though, mediator means an individual who conducts a mediation. I love the way both of those definitions interchangeably (laughs) use the word Mm -hmm. that they're trying to define. That's great. But it says mediator means an individual who conducts a mediation or if conducting a mediation pursuant to the Supreme Court of Georgia's alternative dispute resolution rules governing the use of alternative dispute resolution mechanisms by the courts of this state, an individual qualified to mediate under such rules. So just to kind of shorthand that, um, it, it really means any individual who conducts a mediation or who helps tries to help parties you know, come together. But it also specifically means people who are certified by the Supreme Court under Georgia's alternative dispute resolution rules um, to conduct mediations. And in other words, they've they've met the quali- some of the qualifications that are required. So do you have to be certified to mediate cases in Georgia? You do not necessarily have to be certified to mediate cases. However, in order to mediate cases under a court-approved program or in conjunction with court-mandated mediations, um, you are required to be certified under that program. So, for example, there are actually community mediation organizations going on all over the all over Georgia and all over the country mediating neighborhood disputes and, you know, neighbor versus neighbor. Don't they call those homeowners association? <laughs> no, just they just stir up problems. Know, they right? don't They're actually the resolve. Yeah, yeah, they don't resolve anything. But um, so so you do not necessarily have to be in. And, and I don't want to run afoul of the Supreme Court and the uh, Georgia Alternative Dispute Resolution folks here. But essentially, if you're going to do what I do, then you're going to want to get certified so that you can help people resolve a case no matter what it's its procedural posture is. So what's the process of being certified? You went, you, did you have to go back through everything? Or did I did. Yeah. I had been certified just like you were. I was, I was certified before I became a judge. I did mediations for about five years as a mediator. Uh, I have done hundreds, if not thousands of them as a lawyer uh, on behalf of clients, but I did mediations for five years. So I was certified back then, but because I had same as you let my certification lapse for 15 years because I couldn't do them as a judge, I had to go back through the process. And essentially, that is a 40-hour approved training course that's approved by the Supreme Court. Uh, it meets certain qualifications. I actually did mine outside the state of Georgia, which meant I had to come back and kind of give the uh, ADR folks uh, a, a, an outline of the course I took and what all its requirements were and show that it met all the rules. So. Isn't there, is there still, there used to be, is there still an additional requirement if you want to be approved to handle cases involving domestic relations or potentially domestic violence? Yes. Um, In fact, it is an additional 40 hours of training just relating to domestic relations uh, cases. And so there's an additional certification that's required for that. And if you want to do, again, court annexed um, mediations for cases that are currently pending in, in, in 
in courts, um, then yes, you have to get that additional certification for uh, domestic cases. But essentially, it's 40 hours of training initially for civil cases. Um, and in addition to the 40 hours of training, you have to go and do five observations of a, a certified mediator doing a mediation. In other words, you've got to go and, and watch people do that. Now, I, I'll, just, I'll just say something. I, I, I actually was able to convince them to waive some of that for me because um, I had been a certified mediator before. They knew I had conducted mediations. They had records about that. And so they, they were able to waive some of that for me, which I greatly appreciated. So are all mediators lawyers? No. Um, you can actually become be certified uh, even to mediate civil cases um, as a non-lawyer. And again, there are some organizations out there that are made up mostly of non-lawyers who are mediating things. Now, I will say they're not usually uh, mediating civil cases, you know, that are in our courts. They would probably be, you know, more sort of lower level disputes and that sort of thing. If you look back at your time on the bench mm-hmm. when you were in Cobb County, did you require all of your mediators that in your court annex program to be lawyers or was that not true either? Well, our ADR program, so, the, you know, we have a, a, a organized program in Cobb. That program actually requires them to be certified in order to be included on the list of approved. To be certified, but not necessarily be lawyers? Um, correct. Yeah, they do not have to be lawyers. They just have to be certified by the state. So they have to have gone through the same training. I will say... Most people who are mediating disputes in that um, ADR specify that they want a lawyer to hear their case. Yeah. Um, mo- most of them do. Um, but, yeah, the, you, don't, you don't necessarily have to be a lawyer. One of the big things about mediation is the confidentiality or privilege that gets sort of tied to that. That's right. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, I know there's a statute on it, and, and, and people can check out the outline at goodjudgepod.com. Right. But talk a little bit about the confidentiality and what that means from your perspective as the mediator. Yeah, so there there are a couple of things that, that go into that. Number one, from a mediator's perspective, the great thing about it is I can't be called into court to testify about anything that the parties may have said to me in the course of a mediation. And that kind of that kind of helps both ways. First of all, it, it helps the mediator from you know being drawn into being somebody in the controversy as opposed to an outsider who's just trying to help resolve the controversy. Secondly, um, it allows the parties to have a certain level of freedom in communicating with the mediator uh, to to you know do and say things to try to resolve the case, knowing that those things can't then be turned around and used in in a court case. Now, it, there's a right to to for confidentiality, but it's not absolute, I don't think. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, and, and you know, just like some of the other privileges that you would see, some some uh, you know, psychiatrist mm-hmm. uh, patient privilege or, you know, priest penitent p- privileges. Lots you, of peace. Yeah, I know. You can't go in and confess a crime uh, in one of those situations and 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 that person be held to a standard mm-hmm. of of privilege. Um, there are actually some complicated statutes. And again, you can look at the ones that we've cited in the, in the outline and the other ones. Why don't you just tell them the takeaway? I mean, net net of that is, let me give you an example. Can I maybe, maybe pivot and see if this matters. This is a pending case. So I'm going to make sure I don't comment at all on what the outcome is. Sure. Folks go to mediation. Mm -hmm. It's a domestic mediation, Mm -hmm. domestic relations, mediation, divorce. 
one the part the 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 agreement that comes out they they say they fully resolve it. Mm-hmm. The agreement that comes out of it doesn't mention alimony at all. Okay, didn't say there was or wasn't or it was waived or anything. Mm-hmm. From that agreement, the parties come to a written order for the court to sign. Okay, they annex that agreement that is simply silent on the issue of of um, alimony. Mm-hmm. But the agreement that was signed by the judge, the the court order, I guess, mm-hmm. says neither party will receive alimony from the other. Signed by both lawyers, signed by the parties, mm-hmm. signed by the judge. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we get a motion to set aside in the same term of court and all that. Don't get lost on that part. Sure. Saying, no, no, we agreed to alimony for 10 I don't know, 10 years at a $3,000 a month. I don't know what the number is. Mm-hmm. But it was just an oversight that it was not included in the mediation agreement. Mm-hmm. The logic, the logical thing would be take this advocate out of it, take that advocate out of it, and call the mediator. Mm -hmm. Could you do that? The statute says that the communications that are given to the mediator are privileged, and that unless the parties agree that the mediator can reveal things that were talked about and discussed amongst the parties in the mediation— that the mediator cannot be required. It's just like an attorney-client privilege. Unless the client waives the attorney-client privilege, the attorney can't voluntarily come in and talk about it. So it's the same kind of privilege with a mediator. The mediator can't voluntarily come in unless both parties, the client, essentially the clients, waive that privilege and say, yeah, you can come in and say what happened. And, and you know, in a case like that, they might be willing to waive that and allow the mediator to do that. Now, it's interesting, though, and, and I'll, I'll caution people who are going into mediations. My mediation agreement that they sign when they come into my office, in addition to incorporating the Georgia rules, also says you can't call me. As a witness, you cannot ask as me a, to as come. As a contractual in. matter, it is a contractual matter that there is an additional privilege or whatever you want to to call it that I can't be called in. Or I so, guess a waiver, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it is. Yeah, it's it's captioned as a waiver and a confidentiality. It's in in part of the and both parties do that, and both parties sign that. So 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 that's what the statute says. It's a and and it's funny because a lot of times it's captioned or or called a confidentiality agreement, but it's really a privilege under Georgia law. The way the statute um, defines it is as privileged communications. Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. All right, so let me ask you some questions about the the nuts and bolts of mediation. Is that okay? Sure, yeah, let's do. Are you impressed? Do you need a PowerPoint 
that explains how awesome one party's case does that matter is that something that you see i've seen it used really effectively in particularly complex matters you know but but for example let's say you're um that i'm mediating a um a car wreck case you know and it's it's a standard somebody hit somebody at an intersection and somebody got injured okay um there's going to become a point in that process at which I'm not really evaluating how the accident happened or who might be telling the truth or not telling the truth. Again, I'm not a fact finder in that. I'm just trying to see if we can find common ground to bring the two parties together. So putting a lot of time in on a fancy PowerPoint might help you at a trial. It certainly would help you at an arbitration. It's probably not going to be as good an expenditure of your time and your client's money to try to give me at a mediation. Because in most cases, I'm going to look at a few documents that the parties send me. I'll look at anything they send me as long as they understand that they're going to pay a preparation fee for me to look at the documents. But I'm going to look at that. And then they're going to do essentially an opening statement uh, that gives me the information that they want to give me. And then in some private sessions, we will normally break out at some point uh, into private sessions. Um, we will uh, they can tell me the other things that they think are important. And so, so, so you do get like. I don't know if you call it a memo or a trial brief or a memo, a mediation brief or something. You do get things in advance of the mediations often? Yeah, frequently. What what I ask the parties to do, and they, it's, it's totally voluntary, they can give me whatever they want or not give me whatever they want. I tell them to send me uh, three days in advance of the mediation, and some people do it the day before, whatever, but uh, a, what I call a confidentiality, a confidential mediation statement. In other words, you don't send it to the other side. You're just sending it to me because, again, we don't, this is not a, you know, situation where I have to worry about ex parte communications or any of those things we used to worry about as, as a judge. Some of us still worry about Some that. of you still worry about that, but, but they can send me a confidential mediation statement and any of the pleadings or other documents that have been filed in the case that they think might be relevant. Now, I mean, in one mediation, they sent me a, a um, deposition that they wanted me to to take a look at. It was a video deposition, and so I took a look at that, and and you know, and it was helpful. It was it had to do with damages, and so it was really helpful. So, you know, they'll send me all of those things in advance of the mediation. I will look them over, and then that way I'm prepared when I come in on the day of the mediation. And sometimes they'll waive an opening statement. Sometimes they'll say we don't we don't even think that's going to be productive. Let's just go directly to some private sessions and start talking about. It. Somebody who's involved in mediation in that industry indicated to me that they were of the impression that judges made terrible mediators because they were so used to making decisions. And I know that since you've been out, you've had some really good success in, yeah. in helping people find common ground. So, but so I talk think, a little bit about that. I think that's a valid. I think that's a valid statement, though, because it has been a real mind shift. It has helped that I used to do mediation before I was ever a judge. And so I've kind of gone back to my mediator mindset that I was in prior to the time I was ever on the bench. I, I think I think there are some people who have a hard time making that shift. I used some former judges when I was you know, mediating cases for clients years ago. I found some of them really good at it, and I found some of them were really just there to tell me what they thought. And, you know, kind of do a case evaluation. Yeah. And, and I try to stay really far away from that unless the parties ask me to do something like that. You know, if they want to at, 
at, at the ultimate moment of, you know, we can't really get this thing resolved. If they want me to tell them what I think, I will. But understand, I don't have much information at the mediation. I mean, and that's by design. We don't want them to have to spend, you know, as much money as they would spend going to trial to get ready for the mediation. So I may not have enough information to really render a valid opinion for either side. But I can say to them, because of my experience, look, I've seen cases in this you know, of this kind have verdicts in the range of X or. Well, let me ask you about that. Do you yeah. use a verdict uh, research tool? I don't. Um, that's really more for the parties from my perspective to, you know, take a look at and, and all of that. But what I can give them is my own uh, anecdotal experience, again, both as a lawyer who having done, you know, thousands of civil cases uh, during my career. And then also as a judge, uh, you know, watching people go to trial in civil cases, and you know, Wade, uh, in, in uh, Superior Court, we don't see nearly as many civil cases, you know, as the state court judges. In Remember, I don't have a state court. Oh, yeah, that's right. So you see a lot more than we do. But in my jurisdiction, because there's a state court, many of the claims, uh, malpractice claims and, and car wreck cases and things like that get filed in state court because they get heard more quickly. And uh, so, you know, again, you need to look at who your judge is and what their perspective is. Now, for me, doing civil cases is, I mean, that's, that's where I lived for 21 years. So it's very easy for me. How important is it that you know who the judge is? I mean, if you, let's say you don't know the judge as well on the Augusta circuit. Sure. If lawyers brought you an Augusta case, mm -hmm. could you, do you feel like you could be just as effective in that realm as you are if it was a Cobb County case or maybe a Fulton County case or whatever, where the judge identity and, and style matters? I do, because they're not asking me again to, to evaluate the case and decide anything. I'm just trying to find common ground that the parties have to bring them together. And so, to me, kind of the secret sauce of a mediation is being good at picking up on clues that people give you about where they're, um, what they really want, what they're really trying to get out of the mediation at the end of the day. Because again, I mean, I'm not, I can't force anybody to do anything at a mediation. I don't even want to do that. I don't even want to push somebody where they don't want to go. But I tell them at the outset, look, I, I may push you to rethink the limits of, you know, what it is that you're either willing to accept or you're willing to offer to resolve this case today. At the end of the day, it's up to the parties. I can't make them do anything. Don't want to make them do anything. But if they can resolve the case at the end of the day. And so one of the things that I may do, and I just did this in a case recently, is they may come in and say, these are the two issues we want to resolve. You know, we, we've got an issue about uh, damages for this, and we've got an issue about damages for this. And I may suggest in this other case, I suggested a more global resolution. Because when I talked to them for an hour or so, I realized that they were having problems that were much bigger than these two issues we were trying to resolve. Those are symptoms rather than, than the problem. Yeah, exactly. And so if we could talk, and I said, look, I'm going to suggest that we look at this on a more global level and see if there's a global, more global resolution, because it, quite frankly, they, it was a domestic case. And I said, you folks don't need to be dealing with each other anymore. And we could resolve this little, these smaller issues, and you may be right back 
you know, in a few months trying to trying to deal with these other issues. And they hadn't really thought about it that way. And so by suggesting that and, and suggesting how we might get to that, they were like, oh, my gosh, yes. By all, both sides said, by all means, let's let's try to do that. And so, yeah, we got the case resolved and everybody walked away happy about that. I'm convinced I have lost my terminology from back when I was a mediator. Yeah. The way that you do it, some people call it Pony Express, some people call it Shuttle, some people, I mean, I've heard a thousand of Mailman, yeah. Yeah, the whole different thing. How often do you, would you say more often than not, you end up there where you are going back and forth with um, information and or offers? Yeah, but it's very different in some cases than in others. For example... Let's think about your typical personal injury case. And I I talked to people about this at the beginning. Um, At the end of the day, the only way you have of resolving that case is with um, money. (laughs) So at a certain point, we're just going to be talking about dollar values going back and forth. Now, I'm going to be taking the evidence they've given me and analyzing that and giving them, you know, perspective on that from a trial level and talking about things like court costs and emotional costs and those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, the only way we have of resolving that case is going to be with money. But I also think that part of the value that I give from the experience I've had, you know, as a litigator and also as a judge is, like I was telling you a minute ago, I may have a better perspective on looking globally at something. I might think of something that they've never thought of. I might be able to come up with something that's outside the box. Because again, I'm just making suggestions. I'm trying to get people thinking about, is there a way to resolve this case? Or perceiving problems they hadn't identified. Exactly. Before. Yeah. Things that things that they may have never thought about before because you you know, you get yeah. tunnel you get tunnel vision. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And so and particularly in cases that are highly emotional, you know, you get focused on one thing. I, I think I've told this story before, but I tried a divorce case one time. And the whole focus of the case was about a, I'm not lying, a napkin holder that was in the shape of a bear that the parties bought at a national park when they went on like their trip of a lifetime. And I finally told the lawyers, don't talk about this napkin holder anymore because that clearly isn't what this case is about. It's about bigger issues. I pray to God that's not what this case is about. Yeah, because we've now spent three days talking about it. So yeah, but but that's the perspective I think that you can give. And so, but at a certain point, well, well, and I'll, I'll say this too. There is a modern philosophy that many lawyers have adopted in who, who are involved in mediations that they don't even want to have a joint session at the outset of the mediation. Um, I agree with that philosophy in high conflict cases. You know, if things have gotten really ugly and the parties don't really need to be in the same room with each other because it may get un- it may get ugly, then I will say okay. Otherwise, though, I think it is productive to have at least have the parties at the outset sit, you know, at the table together, talk about what we're really going to talk about in the case, and then you know, and then we can break out into breakout rooms. So. Uh, I don't want to, I mean, I know some of these questions are going to be impossible to answer because they're going to be fact dependent. Sure. But is there a favorite or least favorite kind of case to mediate? <laughs> well, for me, I love, I love civil tort cases. I mean, it, cause that was kind of my bread and butter as a lawyer. You know, it's, I've kind of missed that. Cause like I said, I didn't get to try a lot of those as a judge. And so I've missed those. And so, um, I, I have done a fair number of those so far as a mediator and it's just, it's kind of fun for me. It's, it's, it's very comfortable, you know, dealing, I speak that language, I guess. And, and so it's really good for me. I think, um, 
you know, high conflict, multi-issue um, domestic cases uh, are probably something that, you know, no judge misses once they're off the bench. But I also think that I have a lot to bring to the table there because you, you know, just yeah. like you, I've dealt with a million of them. And, you know, that was kind of the bread and butter of, of you know, what we did on Superior on the Superior Court bench. So is there... Do you is is it hard for you to walk the line between attorney client privilege and in a mediation when you when you start realizing the attorney and the client are diverging? Yeah. So I think you have to be really careful about that as a mediator, because you don't ever want to get between attorney and client. And and you have to remember, too, I mean, this isn't your case. So there may be facts that they don't want to talk to you about that are the reason that they're valuing the case much lower that may, than maybe in your head you would think, wow, this case seems like it's worth a whole lot more than that or a whole lot less or something. Um, you know, sort of like when we hear a deal that the DA is willing to cut with a defendant and you think something else must be at play here if we're going to reduce this to a misdemeanor and walk away. Um, so I try not to do that. And But one of the things that I will frequently do in terms of technique is – I will present things to an attorney and client, and then I will say, how about if I step out of the room for a minute and let y'all have a conversation about this and just digest it, and then you come grab me uh, when you've talked about it. And I think that's a good way of making sure that I'm not somehow interfering with their ability to communicate and and. But, you know, you have attorneys who come in and it's obvious that they're they they want you there because they don't have good client control Mm -hmm. and they want you to be the reality check that they've brought their client in for. And I'll do that. I mean, that's you know, that is part of what I do. But you also sit there and think you should have given them a little more reality before we walked in the room, you know, to do this. So just so nobody gets confused, there's mediation and arbitration. And I know a lot of our listeners are lawyers and judges, but some of them are not. Sure. Just for the clarification, because I know you do some arbitrations, correct? Sure, right. So just so that everybody's clear, just give them the nuts and bolts of of how how they're different. Yeah. So an arbitrator is is actually a final decision maker. So I am a third party as an arbitrator who is going to tell the parties what to do. And unless it's a non-binding arbitration, which are very relatively rare, uh, the arbitrator will be making a decision to which the parties have agreed to bind themselves. In other words, they've said, we want to, we want to go to this third party. We want to put all the evidence out there and we want you to decide that. And, and the biggest difference from my perspective of the process of an arbitration is it's going to be much more complex. You know, mediation yeah. is, you can usually resolve a mediation in a day. Arbitrations frequently are multi-day events because you're putting up actual evidence. You're actually, to a certain extent, using, calling witnesses. I mean, call, yeah, calling witnesses. Yeah. Using the rules of evidence. I mean, all of those kinds of things, it's much more complex in a mediation. You know, it's, we're just talking, everybody's just talking. And, and, and to a certain extent, I'm taking their presentation of the evidence kind of with a grain of salt. You know, it's like, okay, well maybe you'll be able to prove that. And maybe you won't, you know, at trial, maybe you'll get to that. Maybe you won't. So as we're wrapping this up, do you have a word of advice for judges who who need cases mediation or mediated or lawyers who are looking who have a, an important case to them that they're trying to have success? Is there a kind of like um, when we had our our rules for judges? Sure. Is there two or three rules that you could give lawyers and or judges 
about mediation that you think would help them improve their success? Sure. Uh, well, so first of all, to judges, if you're not if you're not using some sort of mandatory mediation on a regular basis in civil cases of all kinds, domestic and um, general civil, um, I would strongly suggest that you think about doing that because we know statistically 60 to 70 percent of cases that go to mediation settle of all kinds. And so think about what that does for your docket in a post-COVID world. You know, um, it, it's really it's really helpful not only to you, but to the parties. I mean, that you know, if we can get 70, 60 to 70 percent of those cases resolved, then that's great um, for for lawyers who are mediation case mediating cases on behalf of clients. I would say. Pick your mediators carefully. And I don't say that, you know, from a standpoint, but there are some mediators who are good at some kinds of cases and some that are better at other kinds of cases. And so, you know, I would encourage you talk to your colleagues, go on a list serve if you're a member of one and, you know, find out who's good on this kind of case or that kind of case. Because, you know, if I were if I were to say what I think I'm good at, I think, as I said a minute ago, I think I'm better at general civil cases than kind of anything. Uh, I think I will probably get better than land condemnation. Yeah. I just I just turned one of those down the other day. I said I ain't your guy <laughs> for that. Um, thanks, thanks, but uh, let's let's find you somebody else for that. But um, yeah, and and so I, I think you know, pick carefully uh, and find out what their credentials are. If you know, if I'm a mediator out there and you're considering me. I don't mind sending you a rate sheet and, an, and a CV and some of those things that tell you what kind of cases I've handled. So with that being said, folks, I know that you probably have all kind of questions in, about this. Um, is, there a, is, a, is, there, is there any common flaw that you see with lawyers? Um, well, as I kind of alluded to a minute ago, I think coming – Coming into a mediation without having a good, honest conversation with your client about what the case is really worth or what it's really about or the range that maybe it ought to settle in. Um, I see people come into the mediations a lot of times, and I have to be the reality check for them to say, this isn't a million-dollar case, you know, in my estimation. I mean, this this might be a six-figure case, but it isn't a seven-figure, and it's sure not an eight-figure case. Um, and so I think that's it. I think, I think client control, uh, having that tough conversation with your client, who hopefully you have their confidence, and say, you know, here's what we ought to be looking at trying to resolve this case in. So, folks, that wraps up another wonderful episode. And, and sorry y'all had to listen to Tane talk the whole time, but he's now the <laughs> resident expert. Tane, just quickly, if anybody needed to contact you for mediation, what would you? What's the right way to do that? Yeah, the the best way to reach out, you can reach out on my LinkedIn page, which is my personal page, uh, or my company is called Renaissance Trial Solutions. How do you spell Renaissance? R E N A I S S A N C E. One of my buddies said, "The one thing you've done for the us is teach us all how to spell Renaissance." But no, reach out to me on that. I've got a LinkedIn page for Renaissance Trial Solutions, or you can get me at uh, Renaissance Trial Solutions at Gmail So, folks, that wraps up our uh, this episode of the Good judgment podcast don't forget to visit us on the linkedin page where yeah. you can follow us as an as a as a podcast you can follow renaissance if you want to <laughs> and then go to good judge pod for any show notes and outlines yeah and we've got a linkedin page for the uh, podcast as well at the good judgment podcast uh, linkedin page so come and see us folks it's great to uh talk to you and um 
I just want to remind you that trial by combat was outlawed centuries ago, so just mediate your differences, okay? Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try our best to give you actionable information, but in a format that does not make you want to hurt yourself. Two thoughts. Some topics allow us the latitude to be a little bit more fun. Number two, if we failed you, we will try to do our best to do better in the next episode. We know that you have lots of choices and we're honored that you chose us this time. We're kind of amazed to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former director, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law, my new part-time employer. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But hey, nobody can get it all. Thanks to our unsung hero, Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises all along, but... We didn't, so... Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges all across Georgia. Wade and I are also grateful to the State Justice Institute who allow us to do this through their generosity. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, SJI, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact someone else with your complaints. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Please visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all our episode outlines and more details about our podcasts. Some of you send emails asking for copies of the outlines. Seriously, people, they're available 24-7, 365 at the website goodjudgepod.com. And we say that like 20 times during every broadcast. But seriously, you can upload or download or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule and at your convenience. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening.